Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is vocal coach Adriana Gonzalez. First of all, Spotify has a new promotional tool. It's called Marquee. It's only in beta, but what it does is it will show your fans only your music, but you have to pay for that privilege, and it's expensive. It's as much as 50 cents per click. Now, here's the thing. This would be okay if it was showing it to new potential fans, but in fact, it's showing it, yes, maybe to new fans, but to all your existing fans as well. These are fans that would see your music anyway via their feed. Now, again, the thing is, they're not seeing different songs from different artists besides you. They're just seeing your music. So they're focused on that. Even so, it's really expensive. And it's getting to be a lot like Facebook. Facebook now charges you to reach your own audience. It used to be that a post on Facebook would reach 100% of all your fans, all your followers. Then it was 50%, then 30%, and now it's down to about 2%. And if you want to reach more, then you have to pay for that privilege. And it looks like Spotify is going that way as well. The real problem here is each fan would have to listen to your new album about 12 times for you to break even. So it's not a good deal so far. I can see why Spotify is doing this. After all this time, they still haven't really made any money except through financial engineering. So they're trying anything they can in order to turn a profit. Their shareholders are demanding it now. That being said, Spotify Marquee does not seem to be a good deal. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, we're starting to see a lot of smart plugins and smart apps that are dedicated to music. Now, it's true that there's been AI and machine learning recommendation engines on music platforms like Spotify and YouTube and just about any music distribution platform that you can think of. Yes, that's been going on for a while and been doing it really successfully. But now, smart machine learning plugins are learning how to dial in the perfect EQ in a mix perfect amount of compression and i just saw one the other day about dialing in the perfect reverb settings for your track obviously experienced engineers really hate this but my take is that if it gives us better mixes across the board then we're better off for it it certainly would have been better on adele's new hit easy on me which wouldn't even pass for a good demo at one point in time it's so compressed but that's a conversation for another time. Now we're getting AI engines that are writing songs. And in some cases, maybe they're even better than the songs that are coming out today. Big problem there is they really can't replicate the genius level of Paul Simon or Paul McCartney or Pete Townsend or Carol King or any great songwriter. The one thing about all these smart machine learning applications and plugins 
is they're turning out a boring product. And yes, it may be a level up from what an amateur can achieve, but great engineers make decisions that artificial intelligence wouldn't. Great engineers learn how to think outside the box, and AI doesn't. Now, on the other hand, you have to wonder whether musical instruments and digital audio workstations will have to be redesigned to take better advantage of machine learning. So with that in mind, are we at the beginning of a new age in music? Is the way we compose and create music going to change five years from today? Are our tools going to be different? I can't wait to find out. My guest this week is vocal coach Adriana Gonzalez, who's the founder of HVS Conservatory, post-secondary school for aspiring professional vocalists. HVS is led by some of the most prominent vocal coaches and artist development professionals that give the students practical and actionable advice goes beyond just technique. During the interview, we spoke about how tension can affect your voice, singers' bad habits, the mental aspects of singing, how your lifestyle influences your throat health, and much more. I spoke with Adriana from her home in Los Angeles. Let's go back to the beginning about how you got started in music. How did I get started in music? Um, I, geez, from an early, early, early age, I just had this just aptitude for rhythm and notes and things like that. So when I was, it was interesting because when I was in the fourth grade, I think I was around six or something, I had auditioned for the musical, right? Um, didn't even get a chorus role. I got nothing. Like they didn't even notice me. And then fifth grade, fifth grade rolls around and um, I auditioned. I got the lead. And then from that point on, I was first chair. I was constantly doing solos. I was the lead in like everything. So it was interesting, but like it was always a part of me. And then one day it just blossomed and just became this like this talent that I had. So um, so I started doing that um, from an early, early age, putting on productions where I was uh, literally producing, directing, writing, um, costume design, set design and starring in, you know, neighborhood productions that I would cast people in. And um, and yeah. And then in college, I pursued it. I went to the American Conservatory Theater where I studied for a couple of years. I also had a scholarship to a music school in San Francisco called Blue Bear School of American Music. So did that and then shortly came here to Los Angeles um, after booking a ton of uh, radio and TV spots for uh, for singing, uh, for commercials. Um, so came down here and then started pursuing acting and singing myself. And it was around the age of like 25 that I decided that I probably needed to have like a plan B or something. And that's when, you know, I was studying with my vocal coaches at the time. And I just thought like, Hey, I love the voice so much. I'm so, you know, enamored by it and obsessed by the way that it works that, um, that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to be a coach myself. And so then, um, I studied with uh, speech level singing technique, Seth Riggs, Seth Riggs is, world-renowned um, vocal coach. I'm not sure if you know oh, him. Yeah. It's, it looks like you do. Yes. So 
So he was my mentor for 20 years and I studied um, SLS and became a master coach and the uh, education advisor for all of Southern California a, a couple of years into, um, to, and into starting my education with them. And then, um, and then, yeah. And then I started my own vocal coaching studio and I am now opening up a conservatory that's completely dedicated to the voice. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been a bit of a journey. It's been about, you know, 30 plus years, but, um, but I'm here. <laughs> well, I want to get into the conservatory in a little bit, but first there's a story on the website about how you were having trouble, even though you had great vocal coaches, you were having trouble. And there was one coach specifically that straightened you out and it was a, a tension problem, right? Yeah, it was uh, absolutely. It was a tension problem. The my the back of my tongue and my larynx would constantly rise anytime I would reach, get into and approach my first bridge. So it was making me completely uh, flat on anything in the bottom of my first bridge, and then it would make me flip up into the top of my first bridge and into my second. So I really had no vocal tone or chord closure because I I just didn't know how to access that part of my voice. But yeah, I studied with, I mean, and I don't even want to name the people that I've studied with because that would definitely, you know, um, just put their name under a bad light. And uh, I don't want any of that. But um, but yeah, it was essentially Seth Riggs himself and then Jeffrey Skousen, who is my director of voice at the conservatory, um, who taught me how to relax my larynx. And now I can go flawlessly from you know, my bottom of my chest voice, which is what SLS, you know, basically prides itself on into the highest part of my head voice, which is through my fourth bridge with absolutely no breaks and tension whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, opened up this whole new world to me, but, you know, I didn't find that until I was in my early thirties, late twenties. So by that point in time, um, I just really didn't feel like, performing anymore. I was like, I've been performing for 20, you know, 15, 20 years. And I think I've, I, I just want to focus on being behind the camera and, and helping people and helping young people, especially because it really does start off at an early age that, um, that you can correct these things or even make them so they're not even an issue. So by the time you are 15, 18, I mean, the sky is the limit as far as what your talent and potential is, is capable of. I'm curious. So what did it take to crack the code for you when you talk with Jeffrey or Seth? Was this something that they got immediately that, Oh, this is a problem. Oh, I see what it is. Yeah. Seth definitely did. Seth in my very first lesson at, you know, I think I was 21 he, he literally pulled my larynx down while I was going through my second and third bridges. And he was like, wow, these high notes are so easy for you. Unfortunately, Seth was very expensive as a 21-year-old. He was about $500 an hour. So I just couldn't afford to take any lessons with him. In hindsight, what I should have done is I should have saved up my money over two months, taken one lesson with him because it would have by far surpassed the countless, countless hours that I studied with some of the coaches that were under him. And then it wasn't until um, Jeffrey and I started working together about, you know, 13 years ago that he was like, this is it. This is what you need to do. And fortunately I could afford Jeffrey. So we worked together uh, consistently and, and within a year, 
my voice was what I had always wanted it to be. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a detriment in, in our community as far as singers coaching or coaches coaching who aren't really doing enough for their, you know, their students and not because they're intentionally doing this whatsoever, but it's because they're just not educated on what the sound and what, you know, the, the physicality is when something this terrible for a person's instrument can be, if that makes sense at all. (laughs) I'm trying to find my words so perfectly. I could see how that could be profound, where it was like, I've been searching for a long time and suddenly I found it. And I don't want anybody else to go through this as well. So I could see how that could really change your direction in terms of what you're going to do with the rest of your musical life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it absolutely was. It was, was eye opening. It was. It was definitely because you know there, there's this stigma, right, with singers is either you have it or you don't. And to a certain respect, that is true, right? Musicality is musicality. It is part of who you are. But as a singer, there are so many intricate muscles that are going into the making of the sound that even if you have this amazing talent, you can still be held back by the lack of education as far as controlling those muscles and being able to produce what your body is physically capable of producing. And, you know, that can come from just you learning, you know, and mimicking the wrong people, you studying with the wrong people, um, you just being high anxiety like I was as a kid, you know, and just really just wanted to belt it out as best as I could. But in doing that was, you know, engaging all of my extrinsic muscles, which is not the way that you want to sing, you know? So, um, so yeah, so it was absolutely profound for me and, and completely changed my direction as to what I was doing with, with my life and spending most of my time. I mean, I know all my students, every single one of them, can test, you know, they can say that what I have learned and what I'm teaching them has also changed their careers and their lives as well. There are so many singers, especially when you look at pop and rock and a lot of genres that are Mm self-taught and as a result, aren't even aware of the bad habits that they have. I would imagine once you get into a certain way of doing it, it must be very difficult to unlearn that. Do you run into that often? Absolutely. I tell my students all the time, it's not that what I'm teaching you is difficult. It's that breaking your habits is what, you know, is the constant obstacle that I come up against. So, you know, like I said, I was, I was so lucky to be taught by the best, you know, Seth and Jeffrey and uh, learning little tricks and little things that I can do in order to get the singer out of their head. So they can feel what that healthy, balanced voice should feel like, supported with the breath, that sort of thing. So um, it does. I mean, when a singer comes to me, like one of my current students, she's about 23. She started studying with me when she was 20. And it took about two years, even though she has a phenomenal instrument, she's ridiculously talented. It took two years to, you know, unlearn those habits And now, I mean, she says she's like 
can't believe what her voice is capable of capable of doing. So, you know, as a 23 year old, she's just out there doing her thing, which is fantastic and exactly what I want. But, but yeah, the habit is, is the most challenging thing for us as coaches to unlearn and to get them to learn a different and different way. But I mean, that's where patience and, and, education as far as like what is physically going on with the body when this is happening. And then also sometimes it tends to be a mental thing too, you know, the psychological and the physical end up, you know, coming together. So as a coach, you also have to discern where is it that I place my attention and where do we focus and how do I communicate this to the student so that they're capable of not only understanding, but being able to put it into practice on a regular basis. When you say mental, what does that mean exactly? Oh, geez. Well, you know, I mean, think about all those people who have, you know, uh, TMJ, right? When they fall asleep, they just grind, 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 grind. Where is that coming from? Is that coming from their physical body telling them to do this? Or is it some sort of tension and anxiety that's going on in the brain that's essentially causing the physicality to come out, you know, on a secondary level. So um, the same thing, the same thing happens, you know, as we're standing and we're moving, right? So as humans, because of all of the anxiety and the stress that we go through on a day-to-day basis, we have a tendency to breathe short into our, into our chest, right? And only up here. So we feel like we're constantly hyperventilating, especially in times of stress where we, we feel like we can't quite catch our breath because the adrenaline is pumping so deeply. That's actually not the, the way that our bodies are physically created in order to create, in order to create breath, Right. Physically, we're supposed to take a nice deep breath into our diaphragm all the way to the bottom of our, you know, rib cage, top of our stomach and inhale and then exhale. And that's where we get not only the most relief from stress, but also as singers, that's where we get our power. And even as speaking, that's where we really get the most power so that we're not, and I'm sure you might come across this, you know, depending on how many hours you're speaking during the day and, mm-hmm. and what, you know, what you've eaten, what you've had to drink, that sort of thing that certain days your voice may, might be able to last, you know, three or four hours of constant speaking and other days it might be only an hour and then you start to feel a little bit of fatigue. There's so many different things that go into play with that, but I'm just, I'm focusing, hyper-focusing on stress right now because that tends to be reasons why humans do and make certain decisions. And it ends up becoming a secondary physical, you know, um, what's the word for it? Yeah, a secondary thing that ends up being taken on physically. Some time ago, I was having a uh, an anxiety problem with something that was happening in my life. And I have a psychologist friend, I call him up and I said, can you help me with this? And he said, yes, take a really deep breath in through your nose and then expel it through your your mouth and do that three times. And it was shocking because I felt so much better after that. Yeah. So it just goes to show you that what you're saying is true, and I guess especially for a singer too, has to be that way. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's sometimes the most simplistic thing that we don't think about, 
will, will, is actually the answer. And it's the same thing when it comes to singing. It's the most simplistic way. It's literally how our bodies have are created to produce sound is how we are supposed to sing, you know? Um, but like I said, you know, all these different stress stressors and, and just, you know, a novice trying to imitate another singer might pick up, you know, the wrong habits, you know, because you just don't, you just don't know your body that intricately when you're, when you're beginning, whether or not you're talented, you know, and you could be highly talented and you still run into these problems. In pop music, pop and and rock and whatever, it's popular to have a gravelly voice, Mm -hmm. which seems to be the antithesis of what a trained vocalist will do where they're going for more of a pure tone. So how do you reconcile that? That's an interesting one because I work with a lot of pop singers and it's not about getting rid of their sound. I still want them to have that style, but we also need to, and this is if the pop singer, and normally this only happens once they've had a vocal injury, then they come to me, then we have to strip everything down and build it back up again. And I, you know, have to reinforce with these singers over and over again that it's, I'm not trying to take your style away from you, but for now, just for now, while we're practicing, I need you to just focus on the technique and the fundamentals. And I can't even tell you 10 times out of 10, every single singer is like, oh my God, this is amazing. Cause it just, you know, opens up different areas of their voice that they just didn't know that they had access to because of all of these habits that they've developed. So yes, pop and rock and, you know, belting is one of the most detrimental, you know, um, stylistic things that a, that a singer can do to, to create that, you know, that passion and that emphasis. So what we like to focus on is a very strong mix you know, there's, there's a super fine line between the two, oddly enough, but one will take you until, you know, your sixties singing wonderfully. And the other, you're lucky if you can make it until you're 30, you know, doing that. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a def, it's definitely a fine, fine line and something that I, I have to massage into certain singers for sure. I have one singer that I, I'm working with and we're getting um, him ready for his release. And, you know, he came runner up in the voice in the Netherlands. He's had, he's 21. He's had a singing career for, I don't know, probably 10 years already at the age of 21. And uh, it was difficult to negotiate these things with him at first because he just kept wanting to yell and scream those top notes. But He was literally hurting, like hurting himself to where he would lose his voice. You know, Um, you know, after working with him for a couple months, I finally got him to realize that this is a strong mix. This is you yelling. What sounds better? And now he actually agrees with me, you know, that the strong mix sounds better. So it's just a matter of reprogramming, you know, what they're the insight that they have, the, the, the vision that they have of who they are. You know, I'm just thinking about this. When you think about gospel singers, gospel singers are really belting it out, but I never remember hearing any that would say that they had throat problems. 
maybe it's just that I don't know the genre enough to understand that they too. And but I never remember reading anything about gospel singer or someone came up through the church singing like that, saying, "Yes, I had a lot of problems, and then I had a change, or I lost my voice, or anything." So gospel singers, the amazing thing about the gospel, you know, genre in itself is that they are massively supported by their breath. Okay. So anytime you want to get that strong mix or the belt that people like to say and and refer to it as, you have to support yourself with your breath. All right. If it's coming from the diaphragm, you can get an amazingly large sound and not hurt yourself. Of course, that's if you're not engaging these extrinsic muscles and the vocal cords are you know, vibrating up against each other and staying adducted as you're moving through, you know, these bridges. That is probably the only answer that I can come up with for that. I I can't personally attest to gospel singers not hurting themselves because I have worked with several gospel singers where we've had to, yes, their breast support was amazing, but they were using their extrinsic muscles. Uh, Vocal cords weren't completely adducted. So we did have to, you know, rework and relearn those areas. And now they can sing, you know, better than they ever thought they could. So I would say that that would probably be it. Um, And then on top of the fact that a little bit of that rough sound for a gospel singer is, you know, uh, invited. It's not, you know, something that they don't want to hear behind their, the vocal quality. So, um, so it's never that, but the real question is how many of those singers are singing until if they're singing incorrectly, how many are singing until their forties with the same tone and the same support and power as they were in their early twenties. Lifestyle has so much to do with this and musicians, especially and young musicians tend to not live a healthy lifestyle and definitely plays a part where you're not eating or drinking regularly or eating or drinking the wrong things, not sleeping enough, not drinking enough water. So I guess that all plays into it as well. And you have to really concentrate on the lifestyle too, I would think. Absolutely. Yes. Lifestyle is as, as a coach, I, I implore to my students that, you know, they have to have a balanced lifestyle. They have to be drinking at least you know, for a female, three to four liters of water a day, I would say six plus liters for a male of waters, you know, a day, no caffeine, try to stay away from alcohol, try to stay away from these things. And obviously no smoking, you know, that's, that's not good. But a lot of my students, you know, they want to live the lifestyle that they want to lead, which is again, fine, but I just have to consistently reminds them that you're in your 20s, this is okay for now, you're going to see a huge difference in your 30s. I mean, it's that quick. It doesn't take more than 10 years to see a massive difference in what you're capable of doing if you're not living, you know, a balanced lifestyle. And at my conservatory, one of the classes that is absolutely mandatory is a wellness class. So, cause I, I really want to enforce in these young musicians that lifestyle and a healthy lifestyle is very, very important for their longevity, you know, for the, for their careers. Well, let's talk about that. Tell me how the HBC conservatory came about. 
So HVS Conservatory came about. HVS, I'm sorry. HVS. Okay. No, it's a long name. Trust me. Yep. Sometimes I mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is it HSV or? <laughs> yeah. So funny. So the conservatory came about um, because a friend of mine was, you know, he he's seen me do my thing for the last 20 years and really, you know, feels like I'm such a talent and that sort of thing. And he wanted to invest in something that was bigger. You know, he said to me, what is, what is a dream that you've always had? You know, what's something that you've always wanted to do that you haven't been able to do because of, you know, resources and means and that sort of thing. And, and it was, it was starting my own school. So, so yeah. And it, you know, it had been something on my mind for the last five years, probably just because I get an influx of, um, of foreign students that come in from Japan and China and Australia and the UK. So I was thinking like, what an amazing way to get all of these wonderful talents under the same roof for, you know, a year, two years, four years, you know, where we can really develop and hone their skills. Um, because one, one of my great mentors who was Gary Marshall, he's, um, you know, a film director uh, very, very, you know, prestigious film director. As an actress, he would always tell me that I couldn't just act. Needed to do more, right? You need to write. You need to produce. You need to sing. You need to be a musician. You, there's just so many things, right, that you can do as an artist in order to have a successful career. So what I really wanted to impart on these students is that you don't have to be Beyonce to be successful as a musician, you know, you can make a hundred to $500,000 a year, you know, which is vastly successful, right. For, for most people writing, writing songs, just, just doing, you know, being published, doing background vocals, uh, doing session singing, um, you know, so many things that you could do. You could, you could do production. You, you know, not only can you be that lead singer, but there are so many other avenues that you, that you can pursue. You, you could be a vocal coach, you know, I mean, so many things that you can do that you're still in your line of, of expertise, but you're just branching out a little bit so that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket and per se. And I mean, that has helped me. I mean, I was so lucky to have Gary and Seth and Jeffrey in my mid twenties as mentors, because just combined, they taught me so much and, and I'm in the place where I am, where I'm a successful vocal coach and done a bunch of acting and singing and, you know, have had successes in a lot of different things, screenwriting I've done. I mean, (laughs) the sky is the limit. I just feel like you can't really... Yeah. You you don't really want to pigeonhole yourself ever when you're in the arts. Tell me more about the conservatory then. The type of students that you're getting and what they're learning. So the type of student that we're getting are people between the ages of, I would say, 15 and 35. So these are musicians who are at a crossroads of what they're capable of doing with the skills that they currently have. So it's musicians who want to come and really hone not just one of their skill sets, but 10 of their skill sets, because they see that there is potential in 
in being an artist on many different, you know, in many different areas and not just the one area. Um, we, I do get students who are absolutely, you know, they, they want to be recording artists hundred percent. They want to be, you know, the headliner and that sort of thing. Absolutely. I get those students as well, but, but it's, a, it's actually quite, quite a large demographic. I have to say, you know, male, female, like I said, between 15 and 35. And at some point I would love to, I mean, I would love it for 45 and 55 year olds to come too if they want to, you know, just to really refine their craft and and their skill set. What is the one thing that most people don't know or musicians, vocalists don't know about a vocal coach and what you do? There are a lot of singers out there who are, are famous and they don't even acknowledge that they have and have had a vocal coach. Because they want people to think that it's a born talent, you know, a God-given talent. So I would say that they don't really understand or the vast majority of people don't understand is that a great vocal coach can teach anyone how to sing. Now, I won't lie and say that you're going to be singing at the Metropolitan Opera or you're going to be on Broadway singing because that type of talent is, yes, it's above and beyond and something that is, you know, God given, but we're all given a voice. So it's just a matter of repeating these certain exercises and developing the muscles and the coordination from the breath against the vocal cords, relaxing these extrinsic muscles in the jaw and the tongue, those sorts of things, and really allowing your voice to do what it naturally does when it speaks, but just expanding that range a little bit. A lot of pop singers only have less than an octave range, vocal range. So anyone that comes to me, I'm like, I can absolutely guarantee that I can give you that pop voice that you would like. So that is that can absolutely be a taught thing. Rhythm is, is difficult. That one is difficult, I do have to say. I, I've run into some issues with some students because they just aren't getting the rhythm. However, if they're consistently practicing with me and seeing me, we can get it really, really great. I mean, yeah, they're not going to be singing, you know, jazz standards and, um, and, you know, doing scatting with a jazz band, you know, that sort of thing. But in order to keep like basic four, four time and sing along, you know, sing the melody along with that basic four, four time, it can happen. I have a friend who's a very famous engineer producer in Nashville, Ed C. And he always talks about the three P's to have a great vocal, pitch, passion, and pocket. What's pocket? Pocket is rhythm. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I've never heard of it referred to as pocket. Yeah. Well, the pocket for musicians is being with the pulse of the song. I mean, that's to be like a great great musician, you know, someone who can, you go see live and they sound exactly what the album, you know, sounds like. So that, that is a special and very rare talent for sure. But that's what I I try to invoke in all of my students is getting them to sing just as well live as they, as they would on the record. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard for most people actually to be able to do that. That is, it is difficult, definitely. But 
if you stay within a certain range that you're really comfortable in, you know, and, and you work on it every single day and practice every single day, I mean, you could definitely get good. Last question, Adriana. And thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. And it's Adriana, by the way. Adriana, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Since you've been now doing this as a vocal coach and, and now creating this conservatory, what's the best piece of business advice that maybe you learned along the way or somebody imparted to you? Gary Marshall, his words ring so deep. Honey, you only get 15 minutes a day to feel sorry for yourself. That's it. So, you know, when you're starting a business and, and when, you're, um, when you're doing something that it, it takes a lot of risk, or you might be doing something that takes mediocre risk or, or no risk at all, but you still have stress and anxiety and you are constantly second guessing yourself. You know, is this the right decision? Uh, oh no, I'm going to fail. You know what I mean? Only allow yourself to focus on that 15 minutes a day. You know, you can't get stuck in that negative loop because yes, it'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? But if you don't, if you, if you stay positive and you keep moving forward, no matter where you end up, you're going to be in a better place than where you started. And isn't that what you're really looking for, you know, as, as a business owner, being able to do what I love on a daily basis is just, to me, that's the dream. So, yeah, I mean, I believe that if, you know, in a year's time, I'm ahead of where I was at the beginning of last year, then... I'm winning. You can find out more about Adriana and HVS Conservatory at hvsconservatory.com. That's hvsconservatory, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At BobbyOsinski.com and BobbyOInnerCircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.